Welcome home, everybody. You're watching Legacy Television. I'm Jeremy Pearsons. I'm so glad you tuned into this broadcast today because we are bringing you part one of a message that we called Fit for the Fight. Last year, Sarah and I were invited to minister at Faith Life Church in Branson, which was a really cool thing for us and a high honor. This is the church Sarah was going to when we met and fell in love almost 10 years ago now, and we've remained connected there. And anytime we get to minister there, there's such a unique anointing on those services. And this one was no different. As a matter of fact, I think it was probably the strongest one we've ever had there. And that's why we're bringing it to you today. There's some really key things in this message, key for your fight of faith, key for your walk with the Lord. I don't want you to miss any of it. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be showing you this part one today, part two next week, part three, following that you're going to be so glad you tuned in to fit for the fight. And don't go anywhere at the end of the message. We're going to worship together. Then I'll be back to pray for you before we go. First Timothy chapter six. Look at verse 12. This is familiar to you. What does he say in verse 12? Fight. We just lost a bunch of people right there. (laughs) Right there. Fight. I don't want to fight, but he said fight. We're in a fight, and a lot of people don't even realize they're in a fight. But every one of us, we are engaged right now in a fight. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called. Eternal life is your calling. You meet a lot of people who wonder what their calling is who want to know what their calling is. What's my purpose? What am I here for? What did God create me to do? What is my calling? And I would suggest to you, you start with scriptures that say to you, this is your calling. Start there. That's a great place to start. This is your calling. You are called to this kind of life. When Jesus gathered the disciples to him, this is before he sent them out. They came to him as disciples and he sent them out as apostles. But before he sent them out, the scripture says he called the 12 to himself. There's another part of your calling. You are called to Jesus. And whatever the calling is after that, you'll never know what that is until you know, first of all, you are called to Jesus. That's your calling. You're called to him. You're called to fellowship with him. You're called to know him and let him know you. That is your calling. You are called to him. You're called, Paul said to Timothy, to eternal life and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Look again at the first part of the verse. Fight, he said, the good fight of faith. I want you to see this out of the Weist translation. I think they have that. We'll put it up here. First Timothy chapter six, verse 12 in the Weist translation Look at this first part. Be constantly engaging in the contest of faith. I just like that. Be constantly, he said, engaging in the contest of faith. Your faith ought to be on something all the time. Always. Not something you turn on and turn off, something that is just always on, engaged in this contest of faith at all times. Now, if you have any kind of ongoing relationship with the Lord, then you are in faith. And that's what the gift of faith was given to you for. 
And we've made a big deal, and rightly so, about faith being how we obtain and faith is how we receive, and absolutely it is. But the number one reason God gave man this measure and this gift of faith, he said, I got to give you some way to get to me. Without this, you can't get to me and I can't get to you. Oh, come on. Did you hear that? Without that gift of faith and operation in your life, you can't get to God, but he can't get to you. That's huge. So if you've got any kind of relationship, any kind of ongoing fellowship with God, then you know faith is at work. But but he's specifically talking here about the fighting side of it. You're not fighting in your relationship with God. So he's, he's referring to something that you and I are to be constantly, he said, engaged in the contest of faith all the time. All the time. Your faith should be on something, for something, working on something all the time. You know, I think this is one of the reasons Jesus said it's so hard to get a rich man into the kingdom. Because that guy looks around and based on how everything looks, what I need faith in God for. But he didn't say it was impossible, did he? He said all things are possible. Man, if you can get a rich man with faith in God, a rich man who knows that even how much he has is little compared to how much God can do, that's awesome. But you and I, we ought to be constantly engaged in what he called the contest of faith. Our faith on something, working on something all the time. Listen to this. It goes on in the Weiss translation. Be constantly engaging in the contest of faith, which contest is marked by its beauty of technique. Be constantly engaging in the contest of faith, Which contest is marked by its beauty of technique? So when Paul wrote to Timothy and said, fight the good fight of faith, that's what he was saying. We've read that scripture and said, well, it's a good fight because we win. And that's true. It is a good fight because Jesus has won it and with faith in him, we win it. But notice what he's saying to him here. The word good there is referring to the way he fights the fight of faith. It's a fight that should be marked. It's a contest which should be marked. What's that mean? Should be characterized, should be able to describe it this way by the beauty of its technique. Have you ever stopped to thought, to think about the technique involved in the fight of faith? I have a feeling that this may be why many people are having what others call faith failures. They're trying things. They're things that look like faith. They're things that sound like faith, but without any technique to it, it's not a good fight. It's not a good fight. We don't take take time to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talked about this in some other words. I think it was in verse 24. He talked about how he said, he said, don't you know that everyone who runs, they're all running But one runs, look at this, to receive the prize. Only one will receive the prize. What did he say? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. In other words, you winning the race has everything to do with the way you run it. 
It's not just about running. Everybody's running. It's not just about you running. It's not just about you being in the race. That's great. But to win it, I said to win it, it's dependent upon the way you run it. Skip down a couple of verses. I think it's to verse 26. What does that say? Therefore, I run thus. I like that. I run thus. This is what Paul said. I run thus. In other words, this is how I run. This is how I roll, Paul said. This is how I run, not with uncertainty. This is what describes and marks and characterizes his race because he's after the prize. And he says, I'm not running with uncertainty. Well, if you're not running with uncertainty, then that means you know why you're running. You know where you're running to. You know to whom you are running. You know what you are running for. You know where the goal is. You know what the prize is. There is certainty in the way you are running this race. And when you run it with certainty, you win the prize. Why? Because of how much that contrasts to everybody else in the race. You notice that before people have no idea what they're here for. I'm in the race, but I don't know why. I'm running. I'm running. Why are you running? I don't know. I saw you running. I just thought we were supposed to run. What are you running for? I don't know. I wish somebody would tell me. What are you running to? I don't know. And folks that, that set their own goals and set their own prizes, and they set those goals apart from their creator, as opposed to letting their creator set the goal and set the prize, they've set it on their own. And maybe the goal is a dollar amount or maybe the goal is a station in life or maybe the goal is square footage or all these types of things. If or when they actually do get that, there's no satisfaction in it. None. And then they think, well, I got it. Now what? It's back to uncertainty. Paul said, if you're going to win the race... You don't have to know why you're running it. You don't have to run it with certainty. Just in the last few years, last few months, really, this has become so, so much more precious and so much more clear to us and our ministry. We got to know what we're doing. We got to know why we're doing it. These decisions we're making. And because, man, when we step out there, there's no looking back. And Sarah and I, over a couple of things, decisions we've made in the past, we've, we've had to say to each other, Mostly after a good, you know, kick in the pants after sitting in here on a service or two. We're not going to question that anymore. We're not going to go back and forth on that anymore. Because we found ourselves doing that at one time or another. Just, oh, did we do the right thing? What's the right thing to do? What are we doing? Where are we going? Go back to what you know. Go back to who put you in the race to begin with. Go back and get some technique about you. Put that back up there, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What did he say from there? I think Paul was kind of a sports guy. All his analogies are sports. Have you found that? I'm actually thankful there are women preachers now because I think if there weren't, we would just have nothing but sports analogies. We, we need something other than that. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight. So now he's playing a different sport. This is how I fight. What did he tell Timothy? Fight the good fight. I fight not as one who beats the air. Not as one who beats the air. 
Now, I'm going to tell you this about myself, and I don't say it with any sense of pride whatsoever, whatsoever. I've never been in a fight. I managed to get all the way through elementary, junior high, high school. I managed to get all the way through that and never got in a fight. Uh, There was one kid one time who I was hitting in the head with a balloon in school, and he said, if you do that again, I'm going to punch you. So I did it again. And he just charged me, but I was so afraid of getting in trouble that I just threw my hands up in the air and said, I'm not fighting, I'm not fighting, I'm not fighting, I'm not fighting. I I wish I could stand here with cool stories like, you know, me and my, or my, my dad put me and my brother in martial arts when I was <laughs> 10 years old. Getting, getting beat up on the bus. My, my dad said, boys, we got to do something about that. I wish I could tell you that I went to the old school. Concrete floors, no pads. Wish I could tell you I had one of those instructors that would give you the opportunity to get it right once or twice, but if you didn't get it right, he'd sweep your leg and you'd fall on the concrete floor. But I didn't have a brother, and my dad and I played piano a lot, so I didn't, I didn't have that story. It's a good story, though, isn't it? I could tell it somewhere else. I couldn't tell it here, but I could tell it somewhere else and say it with my own, but... But I never got in a fight. The only, the only fight I ever really got in was the, you know, the fake one where you practice fellas in the mirror. I think, you talking to me? <laughs> you know, you play through it. In case you ever do come into a situation like this, you, you talking to me? I don't like your tone, right? <laughs> but here's, here's the problem with all this. You can tell I never got in a fight, right? Here's the problem. I'm not actually hitting anything. What am I doing? Beating the air. Beating the air. And I think if I ever did get in a fight, it would look more just like arms flailing and hoping at some point something lands, you know what I mean? The problem with beating the air is that you never make impact. You never make contact. That's a big problem with that. The problem with beating the air is that you never actually do anything to your opponent. You never have an impact and you never make an impact. And Paul said, that's not how I fight. This apparent athlete, that's not how I run and that's not how I fight. I don't fight as one who beats the air. I don't swing and miss. You could look it up in the Weiss translation. He says, he says it a lot like that. He said, I don't swing and miss, but I strike a blow. But I think a lot of folks in their faith walk, if you were to somehow uh, personify or, or somehow uh, embody their fight of faith, it, it might look more like this. What happens? You know, they, they get some symptoms and what do they start doing? Just start... Throw in this scripture and throw in that one. And, um, okay, what, what, what do we do? Um, oh, we'll write a check to him and, and send it to that ministry. And, 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 and I'll send another one to over there. And, and, and by his stripes, I'm healed. And, and, and by his... These are good things. These are good verses. You know I'm not telling you not to sow. You know, you know I'm not saying any of that. But what I'm telling you is there's some technique to this thing. 
There is some technique for you and I to grow in and develop in. And that technique is what will make this a good fight. That's what's going to make you a good fighter. But are interested in being a good fighter of faith? I, I, I may have never gotten in a real physical fight, but I would definitely like to be considered heavyweight faith fighter. I want to be that. But it's going to be a fight that's marked by the beauty of its technique. Marked by the beauty of, ex, of its technique. I like the way he says that. Um, you're here in 1 Timothy. Go over to, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Last year, our son, Justice, who I told you is six now, he was five and when he started playing soccer. And so we would go out to these soccer games, we'd take him to practices and go to the games. You know, I never once walked away from one of those games and said, wow, that was a good game. So that was a cute game. That was a fun game. That was an entertaining game. But you know what? At five years old, it's not a good game. It's not. Nobody's good at it. It's not good. What makes it good, what makes the game good, what makes the fight good is when you've got people out there who know what they're doing. That's a good game. That's a good game. Now, I don't want this to be depressing to you, but your enemy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. That's why the scripture says, don't be ignorant of what he's doing. Look at uh, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Look in verse 20. In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Sanctified and useful for the master. Somebody say useful. Useful. Sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I like the modern English version of this. It says that you will be sanctified and fit for the master's use. Fit for his use. Just a few months ago, Sarah and I went away on vacation, got some time away together. I woke up early one morning and was sitting out on the balcony of the hotel. Beautiful view, looking out over the pool, the palm trees, the ocean in the distance. It was early in the morning. I'm sitting out there with my Bible. And this is where the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord was leading me. And I'm looking at this verse and I'm going over it. And I found it there where he said that he wanted me to be fit for the master's use. And these words came up in my spirit. He said, Jeremy, I want you fit by 40. I'm turning 37 later this month. And the Lord set a goal out in front of me. And he said, I want you fit by 40. It's exciting to me. I've never really been one of those guys who had these great big long-term goals. I know it's a good thing to have, but I've never really, I I couldn't tell you the 10-year plan. You know, you get that question a lot, especially when you're younger. What's the five-year plan, the 10-year plan? My answer was always, look, I want to be doing in 10 years the same thing I'm doing right, right now, just multiplied times 10 years. Because if I'm not doing something then that at least resembles what I'm doing now, then I'm wasting time right now. But this was really one of the first times the Lord ever set something out in front of me like that and said, I want you fit by 40. 
Now, of course, you could think of that in natural terms, fitness. You could think about working out, and, and I work out, obviously. You knew that. Um, <laughs> but, but you know this. When the Lord starts talking to you about these kinds of things, he's never talking to you about change from the outside in. What's he talking about? Inside out. Change from the inside out. He said, I want you fit by 40. And the more I've thought about that, the more I've meditated on it, and the more I realize this is two things. This is both a very exciting word, but it's also a word of warning to me. It's okay if I'm a little bit transparent with you tonight. It's an exciting word because, because I see that word fit also is translated here useful. I think the King James says meat. Useful for the master. Fit for the master's use. I want to be useful to him. I want to be useful to him. I want him to be able to use me for something. Anybody else with me on that? You want to be used? Absolutely, we want to be used. I want to be useful to him. And it's exciting to me when he says that to me because I realize there's something coming. It gets me excited about 40. It gets me excited about that decade because I realize, again, remember what we said earlier? He's always got the future on his mind. He's looking at something coming down the road at me that's going to be here in a very short amount of time. And it's something exciting. It's something that's increased for me and our family and our ministry. And I get excited about it. But right on the other hand, here's this word of warning. I want you fit by then. What's that mean? You're not ready for it right now. You're not ready for it right now. In other words, if it were to come right now, I couldn't use you. I don't know about you, but that just makes me shudder a little bit. It makes me shiver a little bit to think that I could hear those words from Jesus. Jeremy, I love you, but I can't use you. Not in the shape you're in. I never want to hear it. God forbid I ever hear that. The truth is he does love us. And there's nothing you can do to change it. You didn't buy it to begin with. You didn't earn it to begin with. He just gave it to you. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And you can't change that. But just because he loves you doesn't necessarily mean he can use you. I want him to be able to use me. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.